What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Monday, May 8th, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, wow. Um, I don't have any other words to sum up what we witnessed Saturday night other than I don't know how the Bandits were able to get away with just absolutely curb stomping the Rochester Nighthawks into oblivion, but it was a very weird game to be in the stands for watching it and realizing, man, like the last 15 minutes of the game didn't even matter. Like it was over by then when a team literally just passes the ball and just stands at midfield for the final six minutes, just waiting for the time to tick down, you know what an utter unbelievable game we witnessed and one for the history books. Not only that, like my, my brother and I were watching the game and as the fourth quarter kind of carried on, we kept asking ourselves, when are they going to pull Vince? Like there's no reason for Vince to still be in the game at this point. When are they going to pull him? And eventually they did, but it was just even to have that thought in a playoff game ever that you're like, Oh, we don't even need our starting goaltender in anymore for pretty much like you said, the last 15 minutes, the entire fourth quarter, because this game's so beyond over. Like, when are we going to pull Vince and focus on the next game, get him a little rest at the end of the game here, make sure he doesn't get injured or anything. I mean, just insane. I mean, this is a type of game we haven't seen regular season, postseason, whenever. Like the bandages have not had a, I don't know the last time they put up a twenty spot on a team, let alone in playoffs. I know, like you said, they there was pretty much a record breaking night with the lopsided win they had, but just absolutely incredible for them to come out and play like that and play as incredible as they did and put up that in just ridiculous score. I mean, I don't know. Like you said, there's really just in a, a very in a very good way, no words to describe that game other than amazing. Really happy it was home. A lot of fun to watch. And my goodness, was it just a great time. So before we dive into the details of the game, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and check for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Like we briefly mentioned, the Buffalo Bandits took on Rochester Nighthawks Saturday night. Win or go home game, they won it. And I don't. it feels weird to even have questioned what this offense would look like entering the playoffs. Uh 20 to 8 victory. It was 8 to 4 at halftime and they just continue to kick the snot out of the team. I think the closest they got in the second half was 8 to 6 and it what what's shocking was early in the second quarter it was 3-3 and then they just blew the doors off. They scored outscored the Rochester Nighthawks 12 to 4 in the second half. Burn had four, Kluch, Buchanan, and Smith all had three, all had Hatties, four hat-tricks in this game, unbelievable. McKay, Nanakoke each had two, and Frazier, McCulley, and Priolo each chipped in one themselves. Vince, 44 saves. He, uh, like Phil mentioned, he even got pulled with, what, six and a half to go, which I thought yeah. was a really classy move by Je- uh, Johnny Tavares to call a timeout and just let the crowd stand up and applaud Matt Vince, his night, and he definitely deserved it. Shanahan came in, uh made six saves shots were 58 each bandits won the face-off battle 19 to 13 rochester three for four on the power play buffalo two for four on the power play phil uh i don't even know where to start with this besides the offense is fixed and thank god because 
you know, we were worried the whole, pretty much the whole second half of the season, what would this offense was going to look like once they finally got healthy. And that's another reason why we wanted to see this offense play in that Albany game was to get moving a little bit more. They scored 16 there and it definitely worked because they put up a 20 spot in this game. And even with the 20, I mean, they hit a few really solid posts that easily could have been goals if they were, you know, a little bit more inside. Even Hartley had a few brilliant saves, even though obviously on the whole, he had a bit of a rough night, but he still had a few really good saves in there. So to think that this offensive night could have been even better. I mean, they were just doing everything correct. And they stopped the playing. Way. It could have right. been so much exactly. worse, but they, they stopped playing. Yeah, I think their their goal toward the end of the game, especially because the goals were falling as incredibly easy as they were, was to get to 20. And once they hit 20, they're like, all right, that's good. That's that's a nice round number we were trying to get to, hope for. And once they hit that, they just shut it all down and pretty much ended the game right there. I mean, I don't know, to see them score from all different angles, all different ways, the way they were moving the ball, everybody was on fire. I mean, they had some inside ones, some outside ones, every single player on the offensive side, even Buchanan getting the three he did, Cloutier finally again hitting his stride as well, Byrne and Smith doing their thing, even McKay looking really, really good, the transition game looking good, Fraser finally getting that one, McCauley finally getting that one, Priolo hustling his little butt off to try to stay on a breakaway on that one. And he got that one. And then Nanakoke, my goodness, when he finds his scoring touch, and this isn't really anything against him because I I just feel like he tries to be too precise sometimes where he is just hitting a lot of posts pretty much very consistently out of all the players I think we watch on this team. I think he hits more posts than anybody. And I think it's simply almost trying to be too perfect of where you're placing your shot. But the shot he had where it was that low to high, just upper 90 perfect shot from kind of far out. Like the fact that he has that on top of all of the other incredible things he does, if he ever finds just that really breakout season, he's going to be a terrifying weapon for the bandits. He hasn't found it yet, but he's a very consistent forward and looking really good. But overall, I mean, like you said, I just, I don't, it's a fun game to talk about, an interesting game to talk about, but at the same time, with a blowout this big, there's not all that much to talk about other than the fact that the offense looked incredible, and since, I mean, you and I talked about it a little bit, since that New York Riptide overtime win, this team has continued to get better and better and better every single game for the last four games, and if there's ever a time to hit your stride, obviously, right now is it. Yeah, I mentioned it to the the people that went to the casino after the game you included, where I just went... Remember when I was talking about the Toronto game where when nothing is going right for you on the offensive end, it kind of shows you get super unlucky when everything is going perfectly good for you on offense, you're getting goals that you might not, you might not typically get. I I can remember the one where it was Nanakoke. He rocketed it off the backboards. It shot up way in the air. He leaped up, grabbed it and shot it and it went in. Those are the type of goals I'm talking about where usually the defense should pick up that loose ball. Usually the goalie would make that save, but everything went right on the offensive end last night. Even McKay, that that cause turnover he made in the corner on my end, it should have been the first quarter, which I would love to touch about. But NLL, your website is trash. It's unbelievably trash. It's the playoffs and you can't even get box scores to work. It, It was working on Saturday night. Don't know what happened overnight. It's like an intern pushed the wrong button and everything's gone. Fix 
your trash website. It's unbelievable. But that's the only rant I'm going to get out of this because I'm in a good mood, Phil, and I don't want to tarnish my good mood. But his cause turnover in the first half in, in that corner where he turned the ball over, it was in the corner. He somehow had the presence of mind to see Josh Byrne in front of the net and kick him the ball with Josh Byrne went air burn in front of uh, Ryan, Ryan Hartley and put it in. And I think it was either the second or third goal. I can't remember which one it was in the first quarter, but just when everything's going perfect, those type of plays worked out perfectly. It was just unbelievable. The offense was just rolling nonstop in the first quarter. You could definitely tell it was moving and grooving like three goals in the first quarter for the Buffalo Bandits this year is pretty much unheard of. And they were, I can remember two or three posts. One of them hit the crossbar. Two of them hit the post, I believe. And both of those probably should have went in. Like you said, Hartley was making good saves early on to keep the team in it. And then the offense just continued to put together. They tied it three, three. Once they figured out, you know, what, um, Katoni, right. It was Katoni scoring the, yeah, three straight goals. Once they figured that out, it was just off to the races then. I mean, six straight goals in the first quarter or fourth quarter. Just I don't know why I was worried about this offense whatsoever, but this is another example. And this game is in a perfect example of why I was more rooting for Rochester to come to town rather than a Georgia or Halifax, because I felt like if you could get to this team early, a team that is not battle tested in the playoffs, that has never been in the uh, playoffs before, that a Ryan Hartley, who's a young, promising goalie moving up, but you can rattle him and get him early. And you saw the shenanigans after the game, exactly what was going on and him getting pulled and everything. But this is the type of game and an example of why I wanted Rochester over Halifax or Georgia, just because I felt like Buffalo could have their number, and they definitely did. And I don't think, even though it absolutely got chippy at times, for sure. I mean, we saw a few times of the bench scuffles where, was it Weiss was getting pretty much attacked on the Bandits bench, and then yep, Byrne, who got thrown one. into Rochester's bench and pretty much attacked all by himself with no penalty on that one, I don't understand that call but for the most part the refs were whatever this game didn't really matter to them so I don't know but outside of that I mean Rochester had a little bit of fight it was mainly from Hartley more than anybody but I mean you compare that to the Halifax and Rock game where there were literally fists thrown all the time it was just extremely intense that kind of game like you mentioned was I mean I think the bands could have handled it but that's why you want a team like Rochester in the first round because they just did not have that style of fight in them or on that team. And for the most part, other than those three goals in a row, I mean, they really didn't do much. I mean, eight goals total. You take the one away from Shanahan at the very end of the game when, for the most part, both teams had given up. So you're looking at seven goals. And then outside of those three, they scored very quickly. You're looking at four kind of scattered goals throughout the game and none in the first. I mean, Vince in the first quarter looked beyond amazing. I mean, the defense was still settling in. They let a few chances slip by here and there. And the saves he was making, he was just so incredibly dialed in. There were even some goals that he let in that he wanted back. So score could, again, again, been even more lopsided than it already was. But to see this team just continue to get better and better, and it's obviously the time you want to do it is now. And I just don't think there was really any true aspect of the game. I mean, it was 20 to 8. I I don't know what you could possibly really complain about. And I honestly don't think, I mean, sometimes you and I find like something here and there that even in a blowout like this, like, oh, this could have been a little better. I really don't think I have much to complain about at all in this game. I think their transition was incredible. They won the face off battle. I mean, penalty kills pretty much it. I think, I mean, three for four on the power play for Rochester. So if you really want to 
nitpick something, I think that would be it. Again, Rochester gets 58 shots off like they've been doing pretty much all season against the Bandits. Fields with 15 of them and only one goal. So he once again, I know he, I think, led with five points on their team, but essentially disappeared once again in playoffs when the team needed it most. And then you have Dane Smith on the other side putting up three and seven and making it look pretty easy. Uh, Katoni actually had six points in this one. He had four goals to assist. But yeah, uh, Fields had five and then Smith had four and no other player had more than one point, which is insane in a playoff game. And like you said, Mad Vince in the first quarter, it felt like he went into this game going, I am not getting bounced in the first round. There was 15 saves he made. We're just, he was so dialed in, like so focused. And then the second quarter happened. And this is, this is like, like we said, this is just nitpicking here. He had what those first two that you could definitely tell he wanted back. And even the conversations with the defense that he has after each goal, it seemed more quick. And you can usually tell when he knows he needs to make those saves is those conversations are quick, quick. He's more, you know, I wouldn't call it relaxed, but he's more composed than the net when he believes those saves need to be made. And even I think there were two, two of the seven he let in were such squeakers that when I'm saying like the only way that you're meeting beating Matt Vince that night is ones that just barely get by him and just barely go over the line. Like the one in the second half, I believe it was where it was, I think I was talking to somebody in front of me where I went, he goes, when do you think this is going to get out of hand and they're going to start going after people? And I think it was the Holden Katoni one where they scored with like five minutes left in the third quarter. And I went, okay, that's going to be a a little bit more time until this starts getting a little chippy. That one was maybe two inches over the line. That's how far it dribbled (laughs) over. It was such a slow roll. Like if he had turned around, he had so much time to just grab it. And it was slow, slowly rolling. That's what I mean. He just didn't know it was behind him. And all of a sudden he saw it. He's like, ah, (laughs) Yeah, when those type of ones are the only ones that are really beating him, once he fixes whatever it was going on with the the Katoni up top, it was, if you're only getting those by him, you're not going to win this game. It was just unbelievable. Like you said, he just, it was just top-notch vintage playoff Matt Vince that we should be known and accustomed to. And for everybody that was complaining all season long, he's lost a step and all this kind of crap. This is, this is exactly why Matt Vince is the greatest goaltender of all time in lacrosse and he comes to play in these huge big time moments that's why his numbers in the second half are just unbelievable this season is he dials in at halftime and get plays unbelievable and I once again I, I think I said in the Friday show I would dive in a puddle to let not let his feet get wet it just he is he means so much to this team and he gives this team a chance every season to win a championship and he, they have as good of as any chance this season to win another championship as long as he is healthy and in between those pipes. If he's playing at that level like he was on Saturday night, it is going to be very difficult to beat the Buffalo Bandits. That is the interesting thing. I mean, I, I don't know. Is there – I'm sure there might be some other things you want to talk about, but just kind of looking forward a little bit without giving too much of a preview, that is going to be interesting that – like. The mentality of this team, I don't think that they would ever take Toronto lightly by any means. They understand the rivalry and how good Toronto is of a team. I don't think they would ever go into the next game thinking they're just going to roll over them. But Toronto played a very tough game. I mean, I know that it could have been a lot more lopsided in their game as well, but it was a very physical game against Halifax. And this one for Buffalo was about as easy as we've seen it 
in a long time, let alone all season for them to win this. And it being a playoff game is just insane. So I think the mentality of them going into this next game, playing in a little bit of a softer first round matchup and then having to really ramp it up once again for that Toronto game is going to be very interesting because I think this just, I mean, not to be rude, but it really wasn't much of a battle. I mean, after they started really taking off in the third, it was over. And like you said, the last six minutes of the game, you're just passing the ball around, letting your shot clock run out. Even when they got the penalty very late in the game, they just ate those two minutes and gave up. And they didn't even shoot really until the last second to maybe try to get a rebound just to get the ball back again and kill another 30 seconds. I mean, when you're killing your own power play, that is, uh, that's definitely interesting. So I think just the mentality of them going into this next game against Toronto and just how they're going to be able to ramp up. I mean, it's going to be just such a different style of team than the one you just saw it's going to be it's going to be interesting yeah I think you put that one perfectly at the end there it was it's going to be a different style of game than you just played but I think they needed a game like this because they oh, haven't absolutely. had it yep. and they've won those close matchups they know they can win those ones but being able to put a 20 spot on the team being able to allow just eight goals because the at defense home. played unbelievable as well <laughs> at home this is this is the type of game that I think this team needed not just to, you know, more just to prove it to themselves that they still have it, that they can score. Yes, the 16 goals last week were important for them to roll into the playoffs like that. And I think that's a big reason they put up a 20 spot in this game besides, you know, just rolling over Rochester. But that confidence they had that, you know, this is the first time all year long that the the seven forwards are back healthy and ready to go. And hopefully Chase Frazier, because I've been seeing a bunch of stuff that Chase Frazier was kind of nursing something. Somebody mentioned a groin. I, I don't want to speculate whatsoever what it is. I'm hoping that there's no type of injury towards that. I'm, I'm hoping that the full group of seven is healthy again. But to see what can happen when the full seven is healthy and rolling, they I think they needed that. And I think Yes, the next series versus Toronto, and we can kind of look forward just a tad, but there's still a couple things I want to mention in this game. Um, just just moving forward and just going, okay, we put up 20. Yes, it's versus Rochester because it's a little different to score 20 against a playoff team like Rochester versus 16 against a team that's possibly looking to lose to get a, a higher pick in the draft with Albany. I think this is a huge, huge, you know, confidence boost to say, Hey, we can do it. We already know we can win these close games. We already know we can beat Toronto. We've done it two out of three times this year. I think this is just a huge thing mentality wise to put up 20, allow eight and the defense just playing at the top level of the, I think everything on this team is peaking at the right time. And I know you said, you know, momentum and all those kind of things in, in the last show, where do you want to be? You just want to be in the best position, playing your best lacrosse in the time they are. And I think this game proved that every, every piston is firing perfectly as they move on to the semifinals with a chance to move on to the championship. But Phil, there's just two more things I really wanted to mention, and then we can give some record book numbers and move on to whatever milestones I could patch together with the, the stats I was able to find. But the first one, Rylan Hartley. I know there were a bunch of people that were complaining about Bandits fans being too harsh on him, him being too harsh on the Buffalo Bandits fans. Whatever. It's sports. Nobody's getting hurt. I didn't see anybody taking any personal shots. If they were, it was just, you know, right along the boards and, you know, 
I I don't condone that kind of stuff, but like the the chance they were doing, the him flipping off the fans, leaving. I love that kind of rivalry. I I love the interaction as long as it stayed between the field and the fans in the stands. As long as there's no you know conflict between the two where they clash together like that. I love that type of rivalry. Imagine him coming to Banditland next year. The reception he's gonna get. I I I love those type of players, Phil. And you know you know my feelings on Sean Evans. He p- tags the line all the time, pulls on the line, move picks up the line and moves it all the time. I love those type of players because they're the type of players that you love to have on your team and you hate to face. And he's one of those type of players. And you saw it with uh, Chris Cloutier. He w- as soon as they scored that one goal, Josh Byrne, even Brooke goes to me. She goes, did you see Cloutier? I went, oh, yeah, I saw Cloutier. He was pointing and waving. Oh, yeah, Hartley, you got to pull this guy. He was waving by the bench. Why haven't you pulled this guy? That rivalry between the two is just going to make these battles because I think Rochester is going to be one of the top teams in the East for years to come because they're still young. That rivalry is rejuvenated because of this kind of stuff. You need that, that kind of budding rivalry between one another to not just you know have the fun of a, a game like this in Bandit next year with Rochester, but to grow the sport too. Rivalries grow sports. Yankees-Boston. I mean, uh, uh Devils, uh, Rangers, all those type, Buffalo, Ottawa in years past, those type of rivalries grow the sport and it's must see TV having that rivalry between the fans and Hartley, Hartley and the Buffalo Bandits. It's just going to grow the sport and grow the, te- the rivalry between the two teams over and over and over. I love it. And I don't think it crossed any type of lines. The, the chance you hear that at every sporting event, I don't think I have any problems with that whatsoever. I loved it. I, I thought that it was, it was another aspect of the game and another part of the game that you, you, it's going to draw fans. And I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And especially knowing the style, I mean, we've watched Hartley all season, not just against Rochester or not, yeah, not just when the Buffalo bands played Rochester, but we've kind of kept a loose eye on him the whole time and just the kind of shenanigans he ends up getting himself into and up to. And he's definitely a goalie that plays with a lot of an edge and is in your face. I'm sure he's smack talking the entire time, the entire game. So like you said, that kind of attitude, that kind of player really draws out all the kind of excitement between the two teams. Like you said, Cloutier getting in his face and even Byrne getting beyond pumped that he scored the goal. So for me, I love every aspect of it. It's what sports is. The only problem I have with it is if it ever crosses the line into an injury, that is when obviously it's taken too far. And I didn't love his absolute head slam of Josh Byrne. I thought that was the first time he did it where he kind of laid on Josh Byrne's head after Byrne had the diving goal, I believe. That one, I feel like goalies do that all the time. Yeah, it's just kind of a gamesmanship thing that, you know, someone dives in their crease, they're going to end up sitting on them. That is what it is. That didn't really bother me. But the second one where he slammed his head down first by pushing him and then literally, I'm pretty sure, just two-handed, just shoved his head into the ground. I didn't love that. Uh, but other than that, he got the penalty for it. He did. He get did. The Thank goodness it. the refs not only saw it, but actually called it. Cause sometimes again, goalies are protected a little bit more than other players oftentimes on things like that. So he did get the penalty and not only did he get the penalty, the bands end up scoring on that penalty. So rubbed a little salt in that wound. So yeah, as long as it's staying fine and not getting too nasty or anything, as far as literally injuries go, other than that, it's a lot of fun. I really wish Shanahan had fought him for fun. I don't think 
Tavares would have really loved Shanahan fighting because not only do you need a backup goalie, but uh, yeah, Vince would have had to go back out. So I think Shanahan did the right thing walking away from Hartley, but it would have been amazing to see that fight and I would have been 100% there for it. The only thing I want to add to this one, and then we can move on to my last thing I want to mention. I think if goalies get penalties, they should have to serve it. I don't think it's fair. I would fair. love it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's fair that they can do two-minute minors like that and not have to serve it. They still get to play. I think they. I think if I were a commissioner of a sports league, I, I think I would write that in. Like NHL, I think that the... The goalie should have to serve the penalties. Uh, I think, and the NLL, or maybe same just thing, like have it be an auto penalty shot. Even if they don't have to serve it, like you just deserve. All right, straight up. If a goalie gets a penalty, then it's a just one on one penalty that shot. That's your penalty. Like that is what a goalie penalty. I just would find it should be. I just, I just think it would be funnier seeing a goalie. Oh, absolutely. Box, Never seen it. Can they even? <laughs> but <fit>? uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can they climb in it, there? <laughs> it would be hilarious. Some of those boxes are too small. But the last thing I want to mention is. The incident with, and you brought it up earlier, where Josh Byrne was getting mugged on the penalty bench or on the on the Rochester bench, and I mean even Hogarth went after Nick Weiss when he was on the bench. But the the helmet the helmet gate, if you want to call it that, where <laughs> Josh Byrne's helmet was ripped off by Matt Gilray, who you know probably should still be a Buffalo Bandit, but we won't get into that. But it, it, he got his helmet ripped off on the bench. I was witnessing exactly what was happening. I almost completely missed the Ian McKay <laughs> breakaway goal, but it, he had his helmet ripped off. You could tell on the bench, it was just sitting on the ground. Somebody went over. I, I don't know which Rochester player it was. He wasn't even in front of the situation, but he moved over from the his right to his left. So right to the left, he went over to it. He curb stomped that thing into the ground, picked it up and just tossed it down the tunnel. Now, I, I'm not saying that there shouldn't have been a penalty, a bench minor for that play. And after they figured out exactly what was going on, I think there probably should have been a penalty. But again, this, this is the rivalry between these two teams. You want this kind of stuff. If Buffalo Bandits did this to Rochester Nighthawks, Bandit Land would be absolutely, you know, there would be a new fan favorite on this team. Whoever curb stomped the helmet and chucked it down the, the, the hallway. You can't get angry if your team does it. And then ups- if you you can't get excited if your team does it, and then mad if another team does it, I would be laughing. I think those all those type of things are part of the game. Growing up playing sports my whole life, you get any type of edge. You put toe the line as far as you can. You just try not to cross it. I don't think they crossed it by doing that kind of stuff. Maybe they should have gotten a penalty for it. Whatever. But it's just it's another aspect of the game that. If that was captured anywhere, because me and Brooke went went back and tried to find it and rewatch it, because I think she missed the helmet part. I I had to tell her about it, and I I would have to ask her once this is done if she actually saw it or not. But we wanted to rewatch it, and they didn't see it. You kind of just saw what was happening in the the beginning of it, and then the tail end of it, and then you kind of saw the replay where Dane Smith's going over trying trying to get his helmet back and everything, and. The it's just it, that's gonna grow the sport. I just wish there was video of it because that would have cycled everywhere. Just seeing somebody come over, take their foot, slam down on the helmet, pick it up, and chuck it down the hallway, and then it just goes. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no helmet over here. Look at ref. There's nothing on the bench here. I don't know what you're talking about. It's just those are the type of things that in a rivalry game like that you're gonna try and you're gonna try to get away with. And I love it for the the aspect of growing the sport. I don't think it's childish. I don't think it's it's yeah. Uh, uh, Bush League. I don't think it's any of that stuff you want to call it. It's just part of sports. And 
teams do it all the time. I mean, imagine, uh, remember Trey White when uh, I think it was New England's play sheet blew onto the field. He picked it up and started reading it. Buffalo loved it. Buffalo fans went absolutely crazy about it. It became a meme. This is the same thing. It's just with Rochester doing it. It's just, I, I think Buffalo is too quick to defend their team. And I love it about it. I, I love the passion behind it. It's just, they got to remember every once in a while, it's it's a game. If your team did it, you would love it. I, I understand the hatred towards Rochester, but this part of it is growing the game and growing the rivalry. And you should appreciate it because it's going to get more eyes on the sport, more money to the sport. The sport's going to grow and you're going to get websites that actually work. Uh, that last part, I don't I don't. You're pushing it. I don't know. I had to throw it in it. Yeah, no, that's fair. But I mean, uh, with all that being said, I can only imagine what Friday and Saturday are going to be like because yeah, it's going to be that Bandit amps up that times was bad. about, yeah, take it about 40 notches higher and that's what Friday's going to end up being. It's going to get real nasty real quick. Yeah, I mean, last time Toronto wouldn't leave a the field. There was almost a full-out brawl and people are going to be mad about... You know, Hartley flipping off fans or, you know, a helmet being thrown down the 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 hallway. It's going to be much worse than that, though. If you thought Rochester Buffalo rivalry is bad, this is the third straight season. Buffalo versus Toronto face each other in the semifinals. The all time matchup, Buffalo leads it five to three. And of those eight, six of them were recited decided decided by two or fewer goals thanks to lax uh lax magazine uh it, this was the buffalo bandits most one-sided playoff win in history per bud bailey and the second largest playoff goal gap in league history the previous one or i guess the leader is 13 when boston beat detroit 19 to 13 per lax magazine but it's just just to put a bow on it this game was unbelievable, but if you thought, any, I, I'm fingers crossed this happens again on Friday night, but I, I think it's going to be a one goal deciding game in, on Friday night. It's going to be absolutely mayhem in Banditland on Friday night. Like I said, their victories and the way they're winning keeps going up and up and up. I, I don't, you can't really go up. Phil's calling it 25 to 5. Oh man, that would be, that'd be amazing. I would. You said up, uh, up, and up. That's, that's, that's the only way you're getting up. Right, and that's well. And then again, you have at least three more games after that. So by the time they win the championship, it'll be forty nothing, and a cool. solid victory. I'll take it. I'll take it. But yeah, they're moving on to the semifinals of the Eastern Conference Finals with a chance, best two or three. It's uh, going to be nerve wracking. Back to back, back, back to this back weekend. Days. That's also yeah. going to be very intense as well. I mean, if whatever happens Friday will not be forgotten the very next night. That's why I'm having a watch party on Saturday night. It's going to be uh, absolutely. Uh, the, I'm my heart's not going to be able to take it for 24 hours difference. Oof, not going to be good. But move on to the milestones here, and this is as best I can. There might be other milestones that there. There probably is other milestones that I read on the Friday show that I can't confirm or deny that happened because once again, NLL trash website. So we'll run through them really quick. The ones that I definitely do know. Dane Smith is now tied, or I'm sorry, he passed all three of these players. Josh Sanderson. Jeff Shatler and Sean Evans in assist. He now has uh, uh, 71 assists in his NLL playoff career, which is good for sixth place. He also passed Jeff Shatler and John Grant Jr. for eighth, ninth place in points in NLL playoff history because Curtis Dixon did play and he got a few more points in that one. So he is still chasing Dixon right now. Matt Vince is over the 1,400 
uh, save mark for his playoff career, just extending his own record. Unbelievable. He has also just played in his 40th career playoff game. Again, insane. Nick Weiss moved into a tie with Pat McCready with or first seventh in playoff uh, games played with 16. Josh Berm did pass Ryan Banesh for sixth place in Buffalo Bandits history in goals. Chase Frazier is now tied for 10th in playoff uh, uh I'm sorry, he is 11th in playoff history with goals with the Buffalo Bandits because Chris Cloutier is now tied with Kevin Dotsie for 8th, so that bumps uh, Chase Frazier back to 11th there. Uh, Josh Byrne did pass Darius Kilgore for 4th place in Buffalo Bandits playoff history in assist. Josh Byrne also passed both Darius Kilgore and Micah Kersey in playoff points for the Buffalo Bandits. Nick Weiss is now in 5th place in Buffalo Bandits history with 28 penalty minutes and Dave Smith's past 200 career playoff shots. It's just there are other numbers out there with loose balls and stuff like that. But again, website not working, can't list it, can't confirm. So if they did do it, I will touch on it on the Friday show. Hopefully by the time then the website's working, but just some massive numbers. And it's amazing that Josh Byrne is already that high in all these numbers. And I know playoff games have expanded, in his time playing here, but it's still unbelievable the names he is passing on this list. That is the nice thing about uh, all of these players right now and these lists and these milestones and even Matt Vince being another one of them and someone who arguably is leading and helping quite a bit. But these players are playing in a lot of playoff games these last three years and again, finished season excluded where they were also playing quite well. But I mean, you've gotten to the championship two years in a row and now you're at least on to the second round in this one i mean milestones are much easier to hit when you play a lot more games so really great to see the team in general doing really well but yeah dane smith josh Byrne, my goodness the uh the wonder duo that they are just incredible and it doesn't stop it just continues on friday and saturday night so we will hit the previews for both of those games on our friday show it's nice because we're only gonna have to do one preview for both those games because it's the same team back-to-back days so we'll move on to the buffalo bisons here phil five five games to talk about even though i don't really want to thursday's game two because we talked about game one on the friday show because they wrapped that up before we hit record they won two to one now is the games i don't really want to talk about friday they lost four to two Saturday game one they had two of them though Phil they lost seven to four and seven uh game two on Saturday they lost 12 to one and seven and then sa- Sunday they won four to two and uh, in total they went two and five in this series uh they scored 22 runs and gave up 49 uh this is not the season we were planning for these Buffalo Bisons yeah, I mean, I know I keep saying that uh, pitching will find a way to correct itself. My goodness. It, When's that start? It, yeah, it's it's imploding. It started off okay, and the offense, once again, wasn't there. The offense is doing still inconsistent, but at least they're scoring occasion. I mean, not really in any of these games, but, uh, you know, I, I think the team, I, I don't know. I, I don't really, that's like a loss of words for all of these games. I mean, Zulu, congratulations on your your three innings and one hit. I mean, my goodness, will you st- calm down with the walks? But nice job on the the strikeouts. That was helpful. But overall, yeah, I mean, the pitching is just atrocious. All of a sudden, Lawrence not finding his groove as quickly as I thought he would. I mean, after those back-to-back really good starts, I really thought he had something going. And then he's just been rough. And all of their decent pitchers that were doing well are just tanking. I don't know what the heck is going on with this team, but they can't hit. 
they can't pitch, and that is how you lose a lot of games. Yeah, Thursday's game, scoreless until the 6th, and then all the runs were scored. Like you said, Zulu got to figure out the command if he wants to progress into the Toronto bullpen or you know moving forward Junger not his top performance either allowing one earned run but he did calm it down a bit better than his last outing Lantigua nice outing Friday not much to say uh two runs were scored in the first inning and then nothing since then uh Schneider had two of the four hits Hutchinson seven earned runs unbelievably bad Julian Fernandez uh three earned runs in one inning pitch unbelievably bad Peacock four earned runs in two-thirds of an inning unbelievably bad it went from me mentioning Okay, it's just one earned run here, one earned run there, one earned run right. here, one earned run there, and then it just exploded, and it was bad. Uh, Saturday, like you said, Lawrence, second bad start in a row. Hatch relieved him. He wasn't any better. The hitters came alive a bit. Clement, three for four. Lopez, two for four. Bernard, two for four with two RBIs. Saturday's game, gross um, phrase. I think he's going to be sent back down to double-A. Uh, Mellon, he just got called up to double A or from double A three earned runs, Fry one earned run, Junior Fernandez this time four earned runs. The the pitching staff is like you said just imploded and was gross. And then Saturday better, they were still out hit ten to seven. Lantigua Sunday. and Schneider homered, but it's just I I I don't know what to say about this team anymore, Phil, because a lot of the players that we were hoping would have good seasons are struggling a bit, and the pitching staff is just like you said imploding. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't want to stop talking Bison's baseball right away because we, we just started getting into it. But I don't really know what you say when you lose fourteen to two and seven to four and seven, twelve to one and seven. I mean, you're taking out four innings there, and you're still letting up a lot of runs. And even when you win, you're still being out hit in your victories. And the other victory, I mean, two to one is not a very exciting victory so i mean I, I just i don't know they are imploding and i guess the best thing for them is the new system where you know there's a first half winner and a second half winner i mean at this point you're looking pretty close to throwing out your first half and really focusing on that second half so i guess that's a positive would be to simply try to look to the future and obviously not just give up on any of these games where you have a lot to correct and a little bit of time to do it before that second half you know, new season restarts and you get to get another chance to kind of start over, which is nice. I mean, it's not often offered in baseball. So there is some positive hope for this team, but they need to get right and get right quick. Yeah, I guess we can talk about some of the pitching performances now in a series that was not that great. White in his rehab outings, he was much better in the second one than the first one. In total, he went six and two-thirds of an inning, allowing nine hits, four and runs, three walks, one home run, but also seven strikeouts. He was very, very good on, in the Sunday outing. Hatch, a once promising start to the season, has kind of imploded again. I'm going to use that word a lot here. Three and two-thirds of an inning, six hits, seven earned runs, five walks, five strikeouts, two home runs allowed. Uh, Julian Fernandez, two innings pitched, two earned runs, five hits, Three strikeouts, one walk, two home runs allowed. Junior Fernandez, two innings pitched, six hits, four and runs, two home runs allowed. Hutchinson, four innings pitched, seven earned runs, nine hits, five walks, one strikeout. Phil, what's the common denominator, the, the two common denominators in those five pitchers that I mentioned? Home runs and walks. Yeah, that's what we've been saying all year long. I don't know when that's going to be addressed and fixed, but... Phil, if I am wrong, I will admit it. I'll double check this soon, but I'm pretty sure that their pitching coach was promoted to the big league club and there's a new pitching coach. Maybe that has a bit to do with it. 
I'm not positive, but I mean, you were a pitcher, and I, I understand that is not the AAA level, but I've never pitched before, so I'm going to rely on your expertise. Uh, does pitching coach changes, you know, affect you at all? I'm I'm not sure. I'm I'm uh, I'm questioning. I, I don't know. I mean, th- there's there's good ones and bad ones for a reason. You know, I mean, they they have higher up level pitching coaches and pitching coaches that are sought out for a reason and. There's certain ones that clearly get better out of their pitchers. And I mean, I think the big thing is like trying to diagnose and understand on the fly what is going on with your pitchers and what, you know, what are you seeing to show that each individual pitcher is doing poorly? Like, is it something in the delivery, something in just the way they're pitching, their command, whatever it may be? I mean, it's the pitching coach's job to dissect that and figure out what's going on and then try to correct it on the fly. And baseball's a really long season. So a lot of these corrections. Even when they're made, they take a little bit while to actually develop into something good. So, I mean, and sometimes it's a trial and error situation where you might fix your wind up a little bit to adjust something and something else goes haywire and you're like, all right, we'll scratch that because that clearly didn't work and go back to your original wind up kind of idea. So, I don't know. It's it's it could be a uh, a pitching coach thing. I, at the same time, I don't. I mean, it's similar to any coach. You the players have to perform. I mean, that is true. If, if I don't care what your coach is, even Josh Allen as a quarterback coach, but guess what? He can tell him all he wants. He still has to go out there and do his job. So I mean, to me, it always comes down to the players more than anything. I think the coaches are there for guidance and assistance, and when things are going poorly, but. It all comes down to the player going out there and having to perform, and these players are not doing it. Yeah, I just did confirm. I I don't know why I didn't realize this. There was a lot of changeover in Casey Candell's lineup. I mean, new pitching or new hitting coach in Matt Hag, Tim Norton. He is the new team's pitching coach. Uh, there's a new position coach. The bench coach returned for his third season, but Carson Phillips is the new bullpen coach. It just seemed like it was a lot of turnover from the the staff this year. I wonder if I, I know Casey Candell was gone the second half of last season, and a lot of the position coaches are you know new. I wonder if that I I, I understand and I I'm completely sided with you where it's you know players do the play and coaches can only do so much but I'm wondering if how big of an impact it is in different philosophy it is and again new players new new coaches all that kind of stuff I wonder if it's just taking longer to jive because there's talent on both sides the the hitters might be younger but the pitching staff is more veteran savvy it's just it's it's weird that a lot of these veteran players who have pitched on this level for quite a bit like a Lawrence like a Hatch like a Hutchinson it's it's just very strange to see them struggling as big as they are in the two areas that you know walks are pretty much in your control you you don't have to be a wild pitcher strikeouts or home runs yes they're a bit of a wild card stat but you can pretty much pitch in different positions correct me if i'm wrong to keep the ball in the yard it's just it seems like they're having a lot of issues with control right now I don't think that is weather-related because we saw what happened in Gwinnett when they were facing Atlanta's farm system, I think, in the last series, where they still got hammered. It's just it's something that needs to be addressed and fixed quickly before this gets too out of hand. Yeah, walks, hits, and home runs, oftentimes there's there's two main focuses. It'd be either your location or your pitches right. aren't biting nearly as much as you need them to. I mean, and if you throw a curveball and it's flat, it's going to get absolutely hammered, so... 
it's a combination of things. There could be a combination of things. The pitch is simply not working. The pitch selection not working. I mean, even we've seen, which I, at this point, we're just grasping at straws to try to give these pitchers any kind of slight excuse. But we've even seen certain pitchers have a very specific catcher who calls their pitches for them because they work really well with that pitcher so maybe a new catcher this year it maybe it's just not going well with the communication between the pitcher and the catcher and the calls that are being made aren't you know exactly the best ones to be made but at the same time I don't know they're just they're struggling for a number of reasons and like you said it's more surprising to see someone like Lawrence just have two really good outings think he has it figured out and then two really bad ones right after that so not really sure what's going on, but they need to fix it. Uh, you brought up the the catcher scenario. I wonder if that's a big reason they shipped out Vinny Capra to bring in Hinneman, a more veteran catcher. I wonder if he was brought in not at the expense of Capra, who we were both fans of you more than me, but I wonder if it was more to be the assistance of the pitching staff more than you know, inserting him into the lineup for his bat. I wonder if you, you mentioning that reminded me of that trade they made. So I'm wondering if that was more because Stevie Berman went on the IL. I, I wonder if that was the reason behind that trade. But Phil, we'll go over some hitters here. There wasn't a ton to go over. Lopez, six for 21, not that bad considering what his seasons look like, but nothing else beyond that. No One run, one walk, two strikeouts. He's not really making a huge difference in the lineup. I know he's been up at the top more recently. He's been at the bottom of the lineup. Horowitz four for 14, two runs, three RBIs, four, five walks, two strikeouts. He's continuously getting on base in different ways than just hitting Luplo four for 24, but he got a home run, one run, five RBIs, but he still strikes out too much with seven strikeouts. Schneider, two home runs in this series, five for 21, three RBIs, three walks, one stolen base, five strikeouts. And then Lantigua, I thought he had a very good series, six for 18, four runs scored, three RBIs, struck out six times, three walks and a home run. I thought he was very good this series. And he's kind of stepped up in that absence of the bat of Lopez at the top of the lineup. I mean, Horowitz's season is really impressive. Yeah, he's very I, good I, this year. I know, I know we uh, have, you just brought him up. We brought him up a lot of times, but he's probably, he has to be the most consistent player on the team right now as far as offense far, goes. I yes. mean, his hitting and his walkability, he is putting together an absolutely incredible season so far. I mean, again, given all the offensive struggles we've seen throughout the entire lineup, he seems to be one of the more if not the most consistent player, which is really good to see. Lopez, like you said, maybe starting to get something going, not really showing up outside of six hits. But at the same time, when your entire offense is struggling, if you get on base and there's no one there to hit you in, that's only so much a player can do once he's on base. So, I mean, yes, six for 21 is really good, and I understand only one run is not. But again, if the whole offense is struggling, there's no one there to really do the job to get him in. So I think just seeing any kind of positive spark from him is good. So hopefully he can kind of get going a little bit. Luplo, who has an incredible name, and I will laugh every single time you say it. Like you said, also 4 for 24, but those five RBIs among the leaders of a very sad offensive weekend. Schneider being another one of those very consistent players in Lantigua. Also starting to get a little bit more consistent as well as far as hitting goes. The rest of the team is doing okay. They're there. They're they're not there. I mean, Eden's four for 17 is not brutal. It's really not terrible, but eight strikeouts isn't great. Two stolen bases is pretty good. Three runs, not bad. Two walks, not bad. So Eden's another one who 
is still kind of hanging in there and having a pretty decent season and doing all right, but the whole team is just it's it's sad. So Phil, like we said, they weren't we went over the series already, don't really want to talk about it anymore. But BSC update, I am up twenty four eighty seven point oh five to twenty one seventy seven point oh two. In this uh five game series here since our last update, I scored twelve and a half, you put up nine, and uh I think those numbers are indicative of <laughs> what we saw out of the Buffalo Bisons in these uh in this uh uneventful series. So any changes to your BSC team? I am Going to make one. I'm going to take Mitch White on his rehab assignment. Oh, you sneaky little bugger. <laughs> Try to get those uh, those points. And for now, with Pearson, who is not on the team, right? He's, he's, he's up at Toronto. He's right. I'm going to make that make that swap skis right now. And uh, I will take Pearson, who's in Toronto, not doing anything for me, and switch him uh, for the rehab assignment and try to get that 15 points. I don't like you. I mean, you're up by like eight billion. I'm not going anywhere, but doesn't matter. I, I want to hold the line. <laughs> you want to win by as much as possible. I do. I want to push your nose in it like Bannis <laughs> did to uh, Rochester. You want to Chris Cloutier? Uh, call me out. Tell me to never play this game again. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not making any changes. I'm going to keep rolling with what I got. But on our next show, they face off against Syracuse, who is 15 and 18. They are three and seven in their last 10. 169 runs scored, 179 runs against, where uh, Buffalo is uh, second from last in the divi- in the, the standing so far. 13 and 20, four and six in their, in their last 10, but 147 runs scored, 184 against. In a number that they are usually dominating, they are second worst in the International League East in runs allowed, just behind Charlotte, who's at 196. So not... Like we've been saying, the the hitters haven't been consistent, and the pitchers have just been bad. It's been an ugly season so far, and hopefully going against the New York Mets affiliate in Syracuse, they can get right. But Phil, we will move on to our final segment here, our first ever BSC repeat MVP. And there were a few nominees out there. There might have been a few that are as of deserving as this award winner here. But I think when the goals came and the number that he put up in this game and the leadership that he has showed all year long, we might as well just give it to this guy. He was the number one star at, at, at that night. We, you know, like I said, there were other players probably just up there with this award too. And if you're mad about who we give it to and if you're mad that you didn't win it, I'm sorry, uh, email NL and try to get their website fixed. But Dane Smith is this week's BSC MVP. He was the first ever BSC MVP for this show. He is the first ever return and back er, and secondary champion, two-time champion. That's the word for it. Uh, MVP of the show, 3-7-10 game. He did a lot more than just those scoring stats he's just an unbelievable player and those goals were coming up when the game was still in reach for rochester just a clutch performer and very happy he's a buffalo bandit and uh, why, why was there a question mark at the end of that i was just tossing it out there for you to just to just say yeah uh why not that's uh yes of course we are happy he's a buffalo bandit <laughs> um yeah even the way he scored his i mean the one to fight through two defenders was incredible and classic Dane Smith, but the goal that didn't get talked about enough, I don't think either by us or in general, the alley-oop and to 
That one as well. I mean, Nanakoke fighting okay. through all of those players to then flip it to a Dane Smith charging again between two defenders came up out of absolutely nowhere, faked his shot and scored. But the alley-oop to catch a pass mid-jump, bury a goal, and then Forgot land is absolutely He was ridiculous. running in air. He was literally running in the air, jumped before he had the ball in his stick, caught it, shot it, scored, and then landed. And... I know there's a lot of incredible goals, and I feel like that one is not going to get the credit it deserves because it wasn't, you know, a crazy crease dive or one-handed or anything, but that seems like a ridiculously high skill level that you need to be able to have in order to pull off everything that happened. And then the pass obviously needed to be there dead on, and it was, but what an incredible goal. And again, like you said, a lot of his goals came when the game was still in reach and they were very important. So I think the two big... Honorable mentions for me would have been Matt Vince keeping them in extremely early. Yep. That first quarter was just mind blowing the way he played. Wait, 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 wait! Eight. Don't don't say the next one. I, I want to let you finish this one, but I want to guess up. who you think is the second one. What well, you already know the second one is. Do I? I'm gonna guess Ian McKay. <laughs> That's the second one. Yes. Okay. We don't have his defensive stats, which is a little bit of a bummer because we don't have many stats, but. His ability to score in transition, especially everything that was happening with Josh Byrne on the side of the uh, the benches there, getting pulled into the bench, no penalty call, and all of a sudden Ian McKay not only gets a incredible cause turnover, and not only is he like one of the fastest humans alive, apparently, because not only was he full-on sprint, but the players weren't even close to catching him. I don't know how he was able to... I, I understand he gets a little bit of a head start because he caught it and everyone else nah. is caught off guard, but he was way ahead of everybody, had all the time in the world, and then to bury that goal... With all the emotions that were happening at that exact time was a massive goal. And just the way he played, his transition ability was incredible. His defensive ability was incredible. Ian McKay played a really, really strong game. And I really wish we had the defensive numbers to give him a little bit more of a, an additional boost. But the whole team played really good. But I think for me, the top three were Smith, Vince, and Ian McKay. I concur. Uh, if if we had the numbers, it might have been Ian McKay. Um, not just because... Um, his number Fan one fan, but also because it was just, even JT said in one of the articles I was reading, he thought he was probably the best player out of the field that night. So maybe we got it wrong, but again, you sound like the person that should be emailing NLL and accusing them of not having it's the true. stats so we could give the MVP to somebody else. But Phil, uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention, I, I can't remember who said it, but it was in one of the Facebook groups. I don't remember which one it was, but it made me laugh. So I want to give you a shout out. I can't give you credit because I don't, I, I can't remember your name, but he, he wrote up, I, I have a complaint, a formal complaint. Standing up and clapping and cheering 20 times is a bit excessive. So if you can tone down the goal <laughs> scoring, uh, I would appreciate it. I can't remember who said it, but it was it was a comment that made me laugh on a very fun night. So uh, kudos to you if you're listening to this and you want to give yourself a shout out. Uh, leave us a comment and I'll give you a shout out on the next uh, episode. But it was it was a funny one and it made me laugh. And uh, thank you for that. Thank, thank you. It was, a good, it was a funny one. Yeah, my brother was also getting exhausted. I think around goal 14 or 15, he was. Uh, it was a pretty, lot. It was, it was a, and not only was it a lot of goals, they were coming literally like every possession. It, it was, was so every much. single shot was pretty much a goal for a little bit there. They were just right in a row. There was no break. There was no time in between. It was just shot, goal, shot, goal, shot, goal. You're just standing the whole time. And I know. The one time, not only were we scoring a ton, but then there was another penalty call. I think it was the one of the later ones in the game, and we had to stand for the box chance, so we stood up again, and he was just, my brother was exhausted from all of this standing, and he concurs. Maybe maybe not 20 next time. It was, it was a little excessive. I mean, we are, we're all feeling it in the legs today, but 
my goodness, what a fun game. It wasn't even the 20. There were a lot of opportunities where there was breakaways or, or something else happened, and there was an excitement on the field where you had right. to stand up for that one too. It was it was a lot more than just the 20 goals, right. but the 20 goals that typically don't happen add into the extra times you have to stand. And uh, just want to put this out, and I'll throw him under the bus once again because I know he loves when I do this. Uh, Mr. Producer Pat didn't stand for a single goal. Not one. 20 goals sat in his little keister, all 20 goals. I'm going to keep ragging on him until he starts standing. He's going to keep complaining that, oh, it's too tight. I'm too tall to fit in the the seats. You don't have any seats in front of you to stand up and everything like that. Um, There's like, there was what, 14,000 people in the stands. Nobody else was complaining about that situation. I saw many other people that were bigger and taller than you standing and clapping. So I don't know what your excuse. You did the, the little towel thing, but you're still yet to stand. I got... Most most of our group, I think there's like three or four people that still don't stand in our group, but I, I'm I'm slowly building it up. I, I'll give a shout out to Sam. Sam's been standing nonstop. He's he's into the games now, so kudos to him. He's standing, but there's there's a few other ones that I'm still working on, Phil. Yeah, my entire group stands, and I'm giving air fives across the entire yep. arena yep. to other fans where I know where they sit in certain locations, and we're just launching air fives as far as we can lock eyes and just throw it get up em, phil. And, we're, get em. and we're standing we're standing get him phil you never attack anybody get him uh, you <laughs> 10 seconds to attack him get him get him he can't he can't defend himself <laughs> hit him while he's down oh wait he's always gonna be down because he sits stand love up it. love it stand up love it okay is there anything else you want to add any more graves you gotta dig for rochester and producer pat no, all I got is uh, less than a week, and we will be back in Banditland cheering. It's a lot less as, than a week. As hard as we can. I know. I know. It's a Four quick days. turnaround. Quick turnaround. It's going to be intense. All I can say is thank God this one was a blowout because I, I think we were even walking to the exits, and I went, Brooke, huh. This is first one it. where, like, we third quarter it. on, I was able to just breathe and relax and not, you know, have to worry about the rest of the game. Uh, that's going to end on Friday, and uh, I'm so excited yeah. for that. But <laughs> on the uh, Friday show, we will preview the Friday game and the Saturday game. We will go over some of the games that happen with the Buffalo Bisons. Hopefully, some of this Bandits energy can transfer over to the Buffalo Bisons since they're coming home. But very excited for a nice weather week. Yes, we had to squeak in a weather statement here because uh, we are partly a weather show. But very excited for both the weather and the games coming up. So with that... Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us that review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye <laughs>